The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com with Lauren Beller-Blake, my co-host. How are you this morning, Lauren? Good morning, Catherine. I'm doing well from Chicago today. I know you are, sitting on the Lake Michigan, and uh, you're at a meeting. Uh, you know, Lauren, I have to ask you this question. I'm all, I always open up the show asking you a question and <laughs> put you on the spot because I know I you know are at a, meeting, at a meeting for women I, it's up to you to say what meeting if you want to or not. But oh, no, we we should definitely. I'll say. Go ahead. What's the meeting? It's the National Association of Women Business Owners National Conference, their annual conference. We're expecting like 500 women this uh, today, to yesterday, today, and to be a big conference. Well, I sit on a board which is all women. It's a women's philanthropy philanthropy board in New York State, and. We, it's all about women, and it's about women and giving and putting programs on and and, and, and raising money for women's stuff, okay? Now, they're going to have a big program. I'm going to ask you this because I really want your opinion because I know, I mean, you do. You sit on the board for this big national organization, and they want to have a couple programs throughout the year, and we're deciding which programs to have. But one of the issues comes up, should we allow men to come to the programs? Should we allow them to be not sitting on the board, but when we do a program, and they're usually pretty big deals, you know, they're they're costly to come to, you have to donate, and they're 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 fun events. Should we allow men or shouldn't we allow men? I think Why? you should allow men. I do think you should allow men. Here's the deal. Many, many men know that who they're selling to is women. So why not let them come if they are providing a quality service or product to sell to their captive audience, and women don't mind that, I think, if they knew, truly know that they're there to provide a service. They have a choice with it to participate. It's not a, it's not a exclusive, like, men can't come. I think that the information will, will benefit men, but they're usually, the, I find at these conferences that many times men are vendors. They may not attend, they may come to the conference. You see one or two of them always at the conference, and this is size maybe 10, 20 at the very most. There's one at every table maybe. Um, small percentage, but um, I do think that men, it's okay. To, it's not like we market it to men, but men are going to show up. It's their target audience so many times. Do you have men at that conference? You just told me there are 500 women coming to the conference, but you didn't mention men. Uh, well, I'm sure there's a handful. I totally disagree. <laughs> I sure <think> you would. <laughs> I totally, totally disagree. Why can't women have a conference, have an event, and exclude men? And make it a woman's event. Because when you have men come to an event, it changes everything. And a lot of the women on some of these boards are married to or their partners are very powerful men. And I find what happens is they allow the men to take over. Absolutely not. No way. They do not. That's us. If we allow men to take over at a women's conference, we're in trouble. We are in trouble, but don't we have to become stronger ourselves? See, I think there's this whole thing. First, you have to separate yourself. Like whatever, you know, women, uh, maybe different groups that have traditionally been discriminated against. Separate yourself, make yourself strong, and then get into the arena and fight. But if you constantly have to allow... I don't want to say the enemy, but if you constantly, if you can't do it on your own at first, I don't know if I'm being too convoluted, but then you can't, you're not ready to play the game. I think that, um, I, Catherine, I love, I, we really had a nerve on this one, didn't we? Yes, and I said, because we're battling this. I'm battling I, this with other women. Well, I don't think, I really don't think that, 
what's the real issue? Is the real issue that you're you're afraid that men are going to take over at a conference? I don't think that they're. I don't think that they will, especially when it's promoted as a women's a women only conference. And it, and this in this case, it isn't a conference. It's an event. It's an event. It's a women's event to raise monies or to introduce women to an organization where they might come into the organization and participate and 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 give money. It's so all about women and it's all about money. And when it becomes about women and money, we always have to bring the men into the picture. Why? So, but why not take their money? It's a women's event. Don't you want to raise more money? Take their and money. They will come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take their money and run, right? I uh, didn't say that. Yeah, we, but it, it it doesn't have to do just with their money. It has to the kinds of programs that are put on the kinds. But of you're not going to change it. You're not going to change the programming because a man's going to register. You're going to gear it to women, have it be a women's event, and if a man wants to come, let him show up. It's geared to him. If he doesn't like it, he won't come back again. And most likely, they're not going to like it. They're not. It's not going to be their cup of tea. Maybe it won't, but I don't want it to be their choice. I don't want them to come, and I, I, and I think that particularly with some of the older women, what happens to them? Haven't you noticed? It's like you know when you go home. You were, I think, you, you were home recently, and I know I was. I was visiting my mother. You go back to your house. You know, you, you're an independent woman. You make a lot of money. You're a mother. You're, uh, you're an author. You have all these titles. You do all this great stuff. And the minute you step into your mother's house, you become the little girl again. <laughs> and these well, women do the same yourself. thing. They're sitting on boards. They're doing things. They're wheeling and dealing. And the minute their husbands come into the picture, they suddenly become the little wife. But I think that that's a choice, and I think that that's an opportunity to, for people to notice that they're not staying in their full power and their full, you know, strongest self. I think that if that's happening on a regular basis, we need to pay attention to that. I do think there's places that we fall into old roles, but I think that that's our issue, not their issue. See, you you are much more all-inclusive than I am. You are a much more giving person. I am a much more um, <laughs> restricted or I don't, you know, I think you, you you like to include people. I sort of like to, I don't well, want to say it. For that event, if I was raising money, I would make it absolutely a women's event. But if a man wanted to register, I wouldn't segregate say no. I wouldn't say no, you can't come to this event. So in this case, you say that it's okay. We can. I invite... might put him in the back of the room. I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> we can put him in a special section. They can, there you go. Can, you can open it off. Yeah, there's the men the man's section. Table. Uh, what did you say? <laughs> what did you say? I said you can put him in a roped-off section that says man's table. Yeah, men only. Exactly. I'm only joking. Yeah, I know you're not. Uh, well, I'm not joking. I don't. I want know to you're know. not. I know you're not joking. But I do think it's. I think you have to look at the what's the reason for the for the event, and if men will help get to the mission, I say do it. I think there's a lot of men that really respect and want to support women. I admire that. That is what's because what's the reason they're coming? If you're clear on what the event is for, well, they can support you behind the scenes, and they can support you by writing a check. They don't have to come to the event if they really want to support you. And let's say you're sitting on this committee, or you're coming to the event, and your husband or your partner. Uh, wants to support you, hey, write the check. Okay, That's wait. Fine, you have you to say to that I always wonder about why men want to come to women's events. Now, I do want to say that. Why do men want to come to women's events? What's their but, motivation? Why? Yeah, what's the motivation? But I do, you know, I've been to a lot of women's events over the years, and I've seen people like Audi here, and they sell a lot of cars to women, and they do a lot of promotion. They'll drive in a car so women can see what an Audi is like on the inside or whatever every car is. I think it was Audi that I saw here last year. Um, so that I think is smart. I think it's smart business, and I think their captive audience is right here. So I think it's important to understand what's the purpose and why are we saying yes to them or why are we saying no to them, and is it limiting our abilities? Like, what, how would we feel if a man had a man's only event? And I'm sure they'd like to. I'm sure they continue to now. They have them all the time. There's so many events that men have. Men's men that men have that we're not invited to. Trust me. How about sitting on the boards of all these major corporations? They don't. They. I mean, supposedly they invite us to do that, or we can be a part of it, but we're not. I mean, we're but not. With that, but that's the point. But doesn't segregating the, the segregating genders at events like that doesn't it just add to the issue? I don't think so. I think that I think it has to do with with being. I think you have to. I think you have to feel confident in yourself first, and I feel that a lot of these women, a lot of the women, maybe it's the ones that I'm not going to say just the ones that I associate with, but I see a lot of women. I 
even interviewing a lot of women, there's, they, they, they don't have the same kind of confidence or self-esteem that men do when it comes to making decisions and when it comes to making decisions about money. But I think that, that is, that's a bigger, that's a totally separate issue. So if we're not inviting men because it reduces our confidence, that's a whole other issue. So I don't, I want women to be more confident, more in charge of their own power, and not let anybody get in the way of their power. That is to me the biggest issue. No matter the venue, whether it's a conference, whether it's a fundraiser, women, no matter who's there, need to stand on their power and not have the dynamics switch. Now, they do are impacted, but I don't think that we should get stand be lesser strong, less strong. See, I think, and there may be, and I always bring this into the picture, is that generational difference? You know, Between you and I? Well, not so. Well, we are in Generation X. Opposite, I mean, we are in baby boomers. We are at opposite ends of the baby boomer spectrum. But there are a lot of women in this group who are traditionalists, who are older than that. So their relationship with these, with their male partners, is different. And so when you bring, and perhaps it, those men in that generation, the traditionalist men who have a different perspective on women, and I think they cha- they end up taking over and, or the women allowing them to do that, and it changes everything. And, and the, Because one of the other goals of this particular group is to engage more, younger women, younger women in, the, in Generation X and Y, and bring them into the, these groups in powerful positions. And if you... So, 30 seconds. There's our music. We're going to take a break. Lauren Beller, Blake, Catherine Zox, The Catherine Zox Show. We'll be back in a minute. Two more guests coming up. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty says just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your teams. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're on. <laughs> I always, I never know when they're going to put that music on. I'm Catherine Zocher, social worker with a microphone with my co-host Lauren Deller Blake, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And our first guest this morning is Rob Mack. He's a life coach, an author, a speaker, and his new book is Happiness from the Inside Out: The Art and Science of Fulfillment. And he's 
he was a mo- and he's gorgeous too. So I'm looking at all your <laughs> Rob. Welcome to the show. Oh, you've got it all: brains. You went to Swarthmore College. You have a master's degree from the University of Pennsylvania. You've got a, what you're going to be. You have a new film coming, or a new television show coming up. So you should be happy. I mean, uh, so t- <laughs> the people have said things to me. They said, "Well, Rob, in a way, you had a very charmed life." And it's interesting um, because I haven't felt, always felt that way on the inside. And so despite sort of folks saying, oh, well, Rob, you know, you've worked as a model and you've been a corporate consultant and you've gone to great schools and you have a very loving, supportive family, um, I didn't always feel uh, sort of fulfilled on the inside as a result of that. And so that was a problem for a long period of time in my life. All right, so, Rob, when did you not feel, feel fulfilled? Because you described all those things that everybody thinks, well, if I had all that, I'd be happy. And that's what you're yeah, and it's oh, it's still to this day kind of to hear it is one thing. It's just kind of shocking. I'm like, I guess I lived those things out. That's all true. And um, but I think you know, sort of. I grew up in one of the most loving and supportive families um, a boy could ever dream of. And um, it's interesting. We had a lot of conflict in our home as well. We didn't have a ton of money, but I did have very loving parents who had very high expectations. And I think over the course of my life, um, despite being very successful from an academic point of view, from an athletic perspective, from um, I had good friends, and I always sort of um, you know, dated sort of sweet you know, women. Um, I never felt sort of good enough, like nothing was ever good enough. And so this sense of pessimism and sort of um, this little bit sense of sort of that things weren't good enough um, just grew and grew and grew. And then I entered a phase when I was very depressive, and I contemplated suicide um, every day for probably a couple of years. Um, and then I got to a point in my life where I was so serious about it um, that I began to really like, research um, how it was that I was going to kill myself when I take pills or I my wrist, this whole thing, and it got really horrible. Um, but in that moment, I also experienced like, this incredible epiphany. Um, after many, many years of sort of feeling that way, um, I had this epiphany where I thought, wow, it's interesting as I begin to think about suicide itself, that I felt this sense of sort of peace and calmness wash over me. And, and it was in that moment I realized there's something here. My life on the outside hasn't changed at all. Um, and it hasn't gotten any better necessarily. I had a decent, you know, life on the outside. But on the inside, I feel, I feel, I feel better all of a sudden, even though I haven't done anything differently. And so I made a connection very quickly between what I thought and how I felt. Um, and then I just threw myself into sort of researching um, that connection more and more. And is that, was that the, the birth of the book, or is that... Is it, 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 was, it sort of was the... I'd say it was the first step. You know, as they say, like, discontent is the first step in progress. And so for me, um, getting to that place... Um, was certainly a catalyst that led to the book. You know, it was probably only about two or three years later um, when I began sitting down and writing it. And the book was really meant just as a way for me to put my ideas on paper, to, for me to just, it was a very personal thing that I wasn't, had no intent of sharing with anyone. And so to now see it in print and people you know, sharing it with the world and to have some of the great celebrity endorsements that we have is just absolutely phenomenal to me. It's mind-blowing. And, Rob, okay, and this brings us to what you refer to as the myths of happiness, and you actually say that there are like two major myths that most of us focus on that get us into trouble when we think uh, what's going to make us happy. So let's, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, you know, a lot of us think of uh, sort of happiness like success, um, that if we can just find a way to get what we want, right, if we can control conditions and circumstances and our experiences and the people in our life in enough um, in enough ways, then maybe we'll find happiness there too. And so we have this notion that if we can only make our life perfect, that we'll have a perfect life, and in that perfection, um, there'll be happiness, and that's what the happiness is. And that's a really, really misguided notion. Happiness isn't just about getting what you want. If you look at the science and statistics, you know, science has been telling us for about at least 50 years that we've experienced unprecedented material and economic growth here in America and large parts of Europe and Asia as well. Uh, but we've also experienced more depression, in fact, ten times as much depression, and more suicide um, than ever before in the history of mankind. And even for those folks that aren't depressed, their happiness ratings haven't budged since 1950. And so that's a problem, right, where things on the outside are very good, and so and we have this notion that getting what you want will bring us happiness, but clearly it hasn't for at least 50 years. Um, so that's sort of the first, um, and that's both, really both notions tied up into one. One is that you think that in getting a perfect life you'll be happy. The other is that you think that success and happiness are the same thing. And, and they're very dramatic. They're dramatically different things. Okay, so Rob, if that isn't, if that isn't what's going to make us happy, yeah. being successful and getting yeah. what we want, making a lot of money, and living in the big house, and living right. the, the lifestyle that we live in, in, at least here in the United States, or we have lived right. in the past. Uh, so, what does make us happy? I mean, and you, I mean, you do go through this very specifically in the book. You've got eight principles of happiness. Want to talk about a couple of those? What sure, sure, sure. That they can the go out and get the book. You can realize- Absolutely. The most important thing that you can do is make happiness a target. Most of us don't necessarily. 
necessarily shoot for happiness. We sort of shoot for success in one respect or another. Sometimes that's romantic success. Sometimes it's professional success. But if you can make a point of shooting and aiming for happiness and then learn everything you can about what makes for a happy life and what doesn't, you're already ahead of the game. And so, so make happiness a target and redefine success in the terms of joy that you feel. Because at the end of the day, the only thing, the only reason you want that new car, the new house, the new partner, spouse, or more money is for a feeling. It's a feeling that you're after. And when you realize that, you can shoot for the feeling. Um, the second thing is to realize that circumstances and conditions of your life all together, it means whether you're married or not, how much money you make, um, your race, gender, age, how much education you have, the climate, all these things only account for about 10% of how happy or unhappy you are on, on any particular basis, uh, any particular day. And so um, this is what science is telling us. And so you've got to find a way to detach how you feel from what's going on in your life. And that doesn't mean that things won't bring you down occasionally, but what it means is that you've got to claim and take back the power in your life and realize at the end of the day, it's always up to you to interpret your life in a way that makes you feel better. And so the well, Rob, you're saying, I, I want to just stop for a second, yeah, because what you're telling us or what you're telling listeners is it's, happiness is not external. It's not about the things. It's not about the stuff that we have or accumulate. It's all about the inside. It's all about absolutely. the Absolutely. About, and it's yeah. about finding things to appreciate and telling a better feeling story. So you've got to find a way. And remember, everything in your life, all the experience you have, only affect you because you have a thought about those things, right? If somebody yells at you, it's, it's the way that you think about how, how they're yelling at you that really bothers you and that really causes you to be upset. You can't be unhappy without an unhappy story, without an unhappy thought. So realize that you always have the option and freedom to reframe situations in a way that make you feel better. So start telling a better feeling story about your life and start telling a better feeling story to yourself first and then, and then to the rest of the people in your life. So it's how you experience and it experience exactly. the situation. It's, and so you have the choice, you have the option, we all do, to experience this, whatever our environment in the way we want to. Um, Absolutely. Let's give an example of that. Like, yeah, you know, one now, of the today people, people are losing their money. I mean, the fact is people are, they've lost a quarter of their 401Ks or they're losing their job. Take somebody who just lost his job or her job. How Perfect. do they experience it? How is Perfect. I, I, it's, um, I'm great that you use that example because a lot of people are experiencing, you know, job loss right now and problems with finances and money. And I can speak from that from a very personal perspective. Uh, for a very long time, I had a very good job at a consulting firm, and I made very good money. And I had two cars, a really nice BMW, a nice Mercedes. I had very nice clothes and everything. And um, one day, I get a phone call, and they said, "Hey, Rob." Sorry, but you're gonna to have to be laid off. And I said, "Wow, is my performance that bad?" They said, "No, we're just doing cuts and we're outsourcing um, a lot of jobs to India." And I said, "Oh boy, okay." So it was probably one of the worst and lowest moments of my life. And I've had a lot of low moments, but that was a very low one. And so um, at first, I said, "Wow, this is horrible." And then as time went on, I realized that I still found ways to eat. And even though I had to give, get rid of both my cars, I had to trade them in for a scooter. Even though my credit cards were maxed out and I had to cut those things up, even though I had bill collectors calling, I realized that at the end of the day, I was still alive, and there were plenty of people that were worse off than me. And so what I began to do was say, wow, this is interesting. I've lost everything, and it's, but it's not until I've lost everything that I'm free to do anything. I didn't really love that job anyway. There were things that I wanted to do with my life that the job was keeping me from being able to do. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to share with people what it was um, to be to live a happier life. I wanted to um, do all kinds of things, travel, and all kinds of things that I wasn't doing because of the job. So every experience that you have in your life has both pros and cons. And the only question is, are you looking at the good aspects or are you focused on the negative aspects? And so I began telling a better feeling story about how this was a stepping stone to better opportunities, how it was an opportunity for me to spend some time writing. And so there's always a way to reframe situations so that you feel better. And as you feel better, I promise you, you'll do better as well. Last question, Rob. What about yes. other people's expectations? Because that does come into play. I know in my world, I might feel a certain way about how I, you know, if I lost my job. But my, what about my partner or my kids or my friends, yeah. my the community? How do you fit that into the picture? Because people do, I mean, that is a concern, and that, that I think contributes to yes. our unhappiness. Yes. Well, you, you, I think you've got to realize that at the end of the day, your happiness is your job, and everybody else's happiness is their job. You cannot find a way to, you cannot find enough ways to stand in your head and enough different kind of, um, you know, sort of stances and t that, that you can ever make everybody else happy. So remember that their happiness is their job, your happiness is your job, and if everybody just stays on their side of the road, they'll be okay. Um, but their expectations only affect you to the extent that you let them affect you. Um, and so just try, try to keep that in mind that at the end of the day, if you don't take care of your own happiness and find a way to become happy, um, it's nobody else's fault. Now tell us about, because we have a couple more minutes, uh, you know, 
listeners can go out and buy the book, bookstores everywhere, online. And I just want to mention the book again, Happiness from the Inside Out, The Art and Science of Fulfillment, Robert Mack. But you're also a life coach, so you do have coaching sessions and you are around the country giving appearances. Uh, where can we see you? Exactly. Um, if you go to actually uh, www.happinessfromtheinsideout and you click on appearances, you'll see an entire list. Um, I'm doing a lot of stuff radio and TV now, but also book signings and booking, um, and lectures and things like that. And so um, I mostly work out of Miami, um, but I have coaching clients all over um, the nation, and, uh, and, I'll, and I'm booking speaking agents all over the nation, so you can check it out there. All right, terrific. And it's robmaclifecoach.com. Did we miss yep. anything? Uh, no, I think you guys have hit everything. I'm just so appreciative and happy to be on the show, and I really wanted to express some appreciation for the for the celebrity um, endorsements that I received from Vanessa Williams and from Lisa Nichols and other folks that have done much more sort of important and uh, and meaningful things than I have. Um, but, but that's it. I just I love being on the show and I love your last show. Yeah, I love having you on the show. You know what? I have her endorsement, Vanessa Williams, who's another favorite of mine. She says, I know that if you listen closely to what Rob has to say and apply his principles, which is what he and we have been talking about on the show today, to your life every day, you will achieve unprecedented success and unmatched happiness in your life. Rob's insights and practical advice, and I always like practical advice, will not disappoint you. So... Uh, that's a great endorsement from a wonderful, from another one of my favorite ladies, Vanessa Williams. Thanks so much, Rob. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. Have a good day. Right, you too. Bye-bye. Yep. He's got a great book here, uh, Lauren, and, um, boy, he's done an amazing amount of things. Um, he's such a smart thing. He's a smart guy. I like yeah, hearing him. Yeah, we're going to say, we're going to take, now we're not going to say goodbye. We're going to take a short break. Lauren, Beller, Blake, Catherine, Fox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. We'll be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. Welcome back. You are listening to Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone with my co host, Lauren Beller Blake, and you're listening to Voice America. Variety.com. And joining us in this half hour is Paula Furlick. She is, well, New York Post. Page six gossip columnist, 
Paula Froelich has seen the best and worst New York City has to offer from the daily grind of the average working stiff to the public scandals and shakeups of the city's glitterati. In her debut novel, Mercury in Retrograde, Froelich brings her sharp wit and insider's perspective to a story about three very different women who, in classic New York style, just happen to share the same Soho address. So here to talk about her book is Paula Froelich. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Paula. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I know you were listening to the other seg when we were talking to our other guests and we were talking about what makes you happy, and you said what makes you happy is Mercury and Retrograde, your it new does. book. It does. Well, actually, not the phenomenon, because the phenomenon drives me nuts. It's actually when things, everything messes up, which was the basis for my book. But, um, yeah, it's the, my book makes me very happy. Well, it's great because you've now, and you haven't switched careers, but you've been, you know, you're a journalist, you're writing for the New York Post, page six, and now you decide to write a book. What made you decide to write the book? I, you know, it was so funny because I was sitting there, I'd gone through a couple of bad years, and I was like, what is going on? And I talked to a friend of mine, and she goes, oh, Mercury's in retrograde. And I go, for two years? And what the heck is that anyway? <laughs> and you know what, I just, I loved writing, I started writing it. And it was great because at page six, which is so much fun and amazing, uh, you rarely get to write longer than two paragraphs. So it was actually really good for me to, you know, put the old fingers to use and start writing long format. But it was, it was the best thing about it was I had so many stories to pull from. And it's a story about, like, basically three women who they're from all different walks of life. And the best thing about the best thing about New York is like there's buildings that look normal, but because of rent control, you could have one person paying three hundred dollars a month and one person paying five thousand, and so they all end up in the same building, and everything just messes up. One woman loses her job, one woman loses her husband, one woman loses her money, and it's about basically kind of. And which is the worst thing to lose? Your husband, your money, or your job? Which one would you rather lose? I'm trying to think about that. Those are all. You know, um, I don't know. I would say job. Job. <laughs> job. Yeah, I the money and the back. husband. <laughs> so three different characters: Lena, Penelope, and Dana. Mm-hmm. And but Paul, are they people that you know? Do they represent certain people that you have written about, or they're you know what? They actually represent three different sides of me. Not to sound like a total psycho with multiple personalities, <laughs> but you know, we all have we all have different sides to us. But I did make sure that in the book, all characters are at least two to three people so that they couldn't be identified. There are only two identifiable characters in the book, which are Elliot Spitzer and Lizzie Grubman. And that was for the specific reason of you had to be blind, deaf, and dumb in New York not to know those two characters or those two people. And so, therefore, my three characters could actually talk about them being from three different backgrounds. Okay. And, you know, have a conversation. And, it's you know, I think the whole, point of, the whole point of the story is basically when you think life is going one way and it takes a U-turn and how sometimes you have to take one step back to go three steps forward, not to quote Paula Abdul. <laughs> but doesn't that always happen to all of us? I mean, isn't that inevitable that just living one's life? I mean, you have these expectations that... You know, it does, but I've always found, and I, I find it in myself and my friends, that sometimes even when you know you need a change, unless change is forced upon you, you're not going to take it. And so, therefore, a lot of people will sit there and stay in a situation that doesn't make them completely happy or holds them back. I think, Paula, though, that some people see change or even that, for me, it's an adrenaline kind of thing. I, I, it's a challenge. Okay, now I'm going to have to turn things around and change. It feels good to me. Other people, my best girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, it, she views it as it, it's very upsetting. It makes her sad or depressed because... Well, either, you know what, either way, whether it's adrenaline or upsetting, it's still anxiety, you know, like... And by the way, while you're going through change, it's different than anticipating change. Do you know what I mean? If you're, you know, things can be very comfortable and you're like, well, I don't know, or you say you want it and then you get it and you're like, oh, it's like, you know, a friend of mine lost her job in this economy and she was really upset and I looked at her and I said, let's look at the bright side. She goes, what, I go, you hated your job. Yeah. Now you can focus on doing something that you like. Yeah. And she forgot about that when she got fired, that she hated the job in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, let's, or let's try something new, you know, let's try something different. And the thing about 
I wrote this book because I was really annoyed that a lot of books by women and for women were strictly about getting the man and getting the ring. And I was like, dude, I don't really know that many people like that. And if I did, I certainly wouldn't be friends with them because it's kind of pathetic, you know, (laughs) just having your entire life be about getting married. And then you're kind of like, well, I get it. We all heard about Cinderella, but were we there when she woke up married to the prince and he left the toilet seat up and the cap off the toothpaste and they started bickering, you know? But so why do we continue to do that? Why? I mean, it seems to me this myth has been perpetuated, uh, you know, 50 years. I don't know. But we seem to, you know, the same stories over and over again. Why don't we get it? We Women, why don't women get it? Because, I, you know what, work is divided into three, or not work, life is divided into three sections, work, play, love. And unfortunately, a lot of people give a lot more balance to the love section and what they need to understand, which I think I touch on in my book, is that if you're going to get those other areas of your life, you have to be in a good place yourself to do it and in, to sort your own life out before you can start attracting that kind of stuff. But we're still looking for someone else to do it for us. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. We, we, we don't want to take a look at what we do or what our choices are and, 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 and how they affect everything else. Yeah, and how they, yeah, we don't. And, you know, not one thing is standalone in your life. It's all interspersed. Do you think that this is just something that women do, or do you think men on some level do the same thing? No, no, I totally think men do it. That My theory about men is, you know, women between the ages of 30 to 34 start going, okay, I'd like to get, you know, if they're not married already, I'd like to get married. Oh, my gosh, my eggs. You know, I think I want to have kids, that kind of stuff. And my theory on men is between the ages of 36 and 38, men turn into women. All of a sudden they start going, hey, I think I'd like to get married and have kids, you know, like two years after. I don't think men and women are that different. It's a, the time frame is a little different. I agree with time you. Time frame yeah. is totally yeah. different. Yeah. I mean, come I, I would on. Say we all like know 40s. guys in their 20s and early a, 30s who are still like 16. Yeah. yeah. But you'll I notice you. the majority of them, <laughs> when they hit 36 to 38, start going, all right. Well, you know what happens this, physically, you know. and I'm gonna, I think it's a little different than what you say, or at least this is my experience. I think there's like a 10-year difference. Then they get to be 40, 45, mm. and it has to do with their looks. It has to do with their health. It has to do with, you know, all of When they start realizing, oh, my gosh, I better start finding someone who likes me for me. Yeah, or the problem with take care men being of 45, me. you know, I have a theory. Never trust men over, like, 43 who have never been married. I mean, there's just something, you know, like normally there's something wrong with them. Now, or it's like, you know, they or men who have never been in a relationship longer than three years. You know, that's an issue, you know. They either don't like their mother or talk to their mother five times a day. Yeah, exactly. It's an all or nothing thing, but stay away from those guys. I hope everybody... Oh, you are not kidding. Yeah. And I just, you know, we're, we don't have that much time left, so I just want to switch kind of gears and ask you because, you know, you write a gossip column. Mm-hmm. And... And I'm always curious about this because now with new media and things are evolution of new media and that kind of stuff and things are changing, is the gossip industry changing? You know, it is changing, but it's changing for the better. You know, I think we here at Page Six have always never shied away from competition, and it's great. You know, like I love having video to go along with things. I love having things happen in real time, and it makes us work harder. It makes our work better. And it's also, you know, I think new media is really important I, you know, I've I've always said, like, look at Iran, for example. Would Iran be having such huge protests, or would things be hitting so deep if the video of Netta being shot and killed had not been flashed around the world? Yeah. Or how about Twitter? If if it hadn't, you know, if people hadn't responded on Twitter exactly. around you know, the and world in terms like, of how they felt about what's exactly, happening. and you're getting real time, and it's really, you know, it's great. I love information and access to it. Yeah. So, do you think is this the? Are you going to go on to you know getting sort of going full circle? Gossip columnist. Now, now you've written a novel. Uh, so, where do you see yourself in terms of change, or where are you going? You know, I'm well. I'm actually working on two more books right now. Uh, one is a sequel to Mercury and Retrograde, and one is a young adult novel about my time as a uh, Jew in a Catholic convent in Kentucky. Well, you were. I, oh, you were a Jew in a Catholic convent. That's. Yep. I, how, 
now we see, oh, right, now you're telling us we have three minutes left. I want to know how a Jew got into a, um, into a Catholic convent in Kentucky. Well, my right dad, my dad is Catholic, my mom is Jewish, and I, he finally won out after I'd had a little too much bad behavior at my public school in Cincinnati. So they stuck you in a convent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it didn't work. <laughs> Which actually I ended up loving. I tell you, nuns and policemen, they have a real affinity for me. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> so, okay, then after the convent, I just have to, where'd you end up in college? After oh, I that? went to Emory in Atlanta which is an amazing school. And beyond amazing, it had a lot of money. So it was actually cheaper for me to go to Emory than it was for me to go to, like, Ohio State. Yeah, Emory's a great school. And yeah. Totally different than being in a convent in Kentucky, but so you no, you're not kidding. It was either that or Catholic University, and I'd had quite enough of Catholic schools after the convent. Well, Paula, you are not somebody who shies away from change. You have this very exciting life. You do all different kinds of things. It seems like you bring all the stuff and all the experiences to bear at each stage that you go through or the, that you get to. So, oh my God, absolutely. And the be- the thing about it is, I've always said the best things in life have to happen randomly. Yeah. That- but do you plan some things, or is it a combination? You know, you can always plan, but I've always found the best laid plans go awry. Yeah, they do. That's true. I always need some kind of direction, I guess, and maybe there's like this path, but how you get there is what changes. You might, mm-hmm. you know, there are lots of different ways to... But, you know, you should always be open to randomness. Yeah. Now, I, we didn't even get to your personal life, but, you know... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mess. Let's hear about it. That's what everybody wants to hear, but they can't because we have only one minute to go. I've got so, a lovely young dog named Carl Froelich. Okay. He's on the cover of the book. Terrific. <laughs> Stick with Carl. Mercury in Retrograde, folks. You can buy it bookstores everywhere, online. Paula Froelich, uh, well-known, very well-known New York Post, page six columnist. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. We had lots of fun. It's a, it's a great book, by the way. It's, it really is. And I can't wait for the next one, for the the one about the convent, because I love that stuff. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> yeah. All right, you're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone with Lauren Beller-Blake. Don't go away, because we still have a few more minutes to talk. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
back. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone and Voice America Women. Uh, no, it's not Voice America Women. Voice America Variety. VoiceAmericaVariety.com with Lauren Della Blake, my co-host. And we were talking to Paula Froelich uh, in the past uh, half hour. She is author of Mercury in Retrograde, great book. Anyway, she's also the uh, New York Post page six columnist, very well known. And Paula brought up something you and I were talking about during the break, Lauren. You know, we have to be prepared for randomness. We're all trying to control our environment. And I think that's that our first guest was kind of saying the same thing, too. We feel like if we're sure. in control, if we're successful, if we make money, if we do this, then we're going to be happy. Somehow that's going to kind of stabilize us. And, the, uh, you know, Paula has a different perspective. But still, randomness, we have to be prepared for change. And that doesn't mean just, like, going off and doing whatever you want and something feels like fun and doing that. That's not what she's talking about, right? And that's not what you're talking about either. So let's talk about being prepared. Uh, yeah, uh, I think there's a fine line between, like, planning your whole life out to the detail. Um, that's Some people do that, and planning, I think, is important, and having goals to work towards is important. But I think that allowing the randomness, which I love how she put it, allowing the randomness or the coincidences or the spontaneity to be a part of your life, too, is critical. Yeah. This is what I do with my traveling. I like, I have an idea of, you know, that there's that book, 1,000 Places to Go Before You Die. She's been on yeah. our show. I can't remember yeah. her name right now. But anyway, and she has a whole list of them. But I kind of have this kind of like, I want to go to all these places before I die. How I get there and the way in which I get there, I leave open to randomness. Uh, but that is the goal. Now, I was reading when, like Hillary Clinton, when they was being considered for uh, Secretary of State, they listed the places that she had been and where she had traveled to, and she had been to 50 different countries. So I've been to 35, and I thought, wow. Hillary is ahead of me. <laughs> I have 15 more places to go. And I wrote some of them down. So, so like last week, two weeks, actually it was two weeks ago, uh, one of my kids uh, wanted to go with a friend uh, to uh, Argentina, just like the, the the mayor from or the governor of what exactly. South Carolina. <laughs> yep. he was there when we were there. So we decided we went to Buenos Aires, and it, uh, I planned two weeks. That's all it took. It didn't even take two weeks to plan it because now with the internet and stuff, information is so available. You can plan things. You can. It's really easy. So uh, yeah, so we spent ten days or a week in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina. It was fabulous. Yeah, and it was spontaneous. It wasn't irresponsible. See, I I think that's sometimes we get hooked into thinking that if you do something spontaneous or what seems to be random, it's irresponsible, and it's not. I don't think it is at all. I actually see it as um, just a way of enjoying life, like to have it be fun and spontaneous to me is a really important ingredient for fun. People need to have new, all of us need new experiences because every new experience, and you don't have to go to Argentina, you can go to the next town over, you can take a, do a different kind of a trip within your own community, do something different, it gives you another filter. In which another way, well, expand your world. Yeah, and exactly. so there's so many different ways to expand your world. Travel is one way, like seeing, I know my husband, he wants to, you know, he's, Checks off how many states he's been to. I think he's been. There's only two states in this country he hasn't been to, you know, and he loves that. That's his thing. And yeah, he won't try caviar, you know. So tasting something different is also a way to experience something new. And you know what I tasted when I was in Buenos Aires? Tell me, bulls balls. No, you ate it. I ate bulls balls. They were delicious. Well, we sat down at this restaurant, Argentina, the Pampas, the Cowboys, Caballeros. Well. Beef is their thing, grass-fed beef. And I don't eat a lot of beef here in the United States, maybe once a month. I try not to. But when I was there, of course I'm going to eat it. So we sit down at this great restaurant, and on the menu for appetizers are bull's balls. And, of course, my son and my boyfriend didn't want to eat them. I bet they didn't. <laughs> They're fabulous. They're very, and the irony is that like a week before, I had been watching the Travel Channel, and you know the guy or the the um, host on the Travel Channel who goes around the world eating strange foods. I can't remember his name, um, but he, he's very well known, and his show is on every week. And he and he had just done a show on Santiago Chile, and he had been eating bull's balls. 
I was in Buenos Aires. And uh, after seeing the show, which was kind of ironic because it was just the week before that I had seen the show about him eating, he was actually at the ranch and watched them uh, castrate this bull, and then they cooked him out on the open fire. Well, I was just, I was so, here I was in this restaurant in, 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 uh, in Argentina. Do we have Lauren back on again? I am back on. Sorry. Yeah, well, I don't know if you heard my whole story because I kept going, uh, but I ended up at this restaurant in Argentina, and there was there was for appetizers bulls balls, and they were delicious. So I want to know did uh, did uh, Barry and your son try? Yes, they did. And what did they think? They liked it despite themselves. I think they felt a little guilty. I'm not sure what, but they wouldn't order them. But what I because you get four of them, they were little. They must have been from little bull calves, I guess. Oh and, my! Uh, so how did they yeah. cook them? What does it look like on your plate? It, it looks like a little matzo ball. Okay, you know, like, so if they don't like cut it up or anything, it's whole. You eat it whole. You eat it whole. Well, you slice it. It's like a little, uh, that's what I would say. It looks like a matzo ball, a little matzo ball, and you just slice into it, and it's very tender, and um, I don't know if it's good for you or not, but anyway, it was delicious. I think that's right. I do think that that's another way to expand our horizons. I do too. Yeah, taste is a different thing. <laughs> so that's an example. I mean, uh, yeah, expanding your horizons. And then I just want to share one more story because if we're talking about visiting different places and expanding horizons, I said to the concierge at the hotel, we want to do something different. I said, I have a talk show, a uh, radio talk show, and I'd like to see one here in Argentina, you know, on, on uh, a radio show or a television show. So she made an appointment for us to go to a television station, and we saw the most popular television host, female television host, who's had a show for 40 years in in Argentina. You know, the uh, the studios were in Buenos Aires, and she's 82 years old. Oh my God! How great is that? What a great story! I knew you'd appreciate that because for all of you out there, if you think it's over or things have lost your, and she's had all kinds of things happen to her. Her husband died. Her husband, her son died. You know, a whole lifetime of of crises, and she kept on going. And she still is the most popular television host, eighty two years old, and she does a three hour show every day. So how's that for inspiration? And she looks wonderful. Just looks wonderful. And she has all these young people as the PDs, the production assistants, and, you know, working for her. Um, what an inspiration. That's, that's, that's an inspiration. And, like, why stop? It, why stop? That Exactly. You just keep on going. You just And if she's on. loving it, do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think we do have something else in this country that, oh, I'm 65 or 75. When should I retire? And I don't think there's such a – I mean, I don't understand why people – I don't know. Retire for what? Like, live fully now, you know? But Lauren, she – also, it's not just that she wants to do it. She still has the audience. She's still got what it takes I'm at 82 sure years does. old because they're not going to let her do it unless she has the audience, and we have to say goodbye. It's been great. Enjoy Chicago. I will, and you enjoy uh, both balls. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I have to try. Well, on to next. I have to try something different. It's Lauren Deller-Blake, Catherine Sox, VoiceAmericaVariety.com. You've been listening to... I uh, hope you enjoyed your day. Well, I guess we've got about 30 seconds left. Do you have anything to say to everybody? No, um, happiness for no reason. I love that. Just yeah, happy. Or, yeah, go by these two books we've been talking about today. Yeah. I should mention them again, Mercury in Retrograde. And you can go online, folks, if you want to hear this show in the archives. Have a great week. We'll, we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.